Hello and welcome to the next in my series of studies in John's Gospel. Before we go any further, I need to apologise uh, about the last study that I did because I started off by talking about the things I changed my mind on as a result of uh, studying Jesus. And I intimated that I was going to tell you those at the end of the uh, video. And then I didn't. The reason is that I thought the video went on too long, so I cut them out, and I thought, you don't really want to know my opinion about things. Uh, but it turns out some of you did. So thanks for the feedback, and uh, maybe another time I will tell you the 20-odd things that I've changed my mind over in the last 30 or 40 years. So don't know when I'll do it, but at some point it will come back. Anyway, today I am going to uh, stick to the subject in hand. How do I know if I love Jesus? Now, that's a question that's worried me over the years from time to time. The uh, principal commandment when Jesus was asked, what are the most important commandments? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Now, I'm one of those fairly uh, measured, not particularly emotional people. And so I've often questioned and asked myself, well, am I, do I really love God? What feeling am I supposed to feel? How do I know if I love him enough? And these are things that from time to time uh, I've pondered. And you may be the same as me. And sometimes in moments uh, of worship around others, I feel a great sense of uh, love for God. And then I think, well, where is that through the rest of my life? And then I look at other people and I think, gosh, their hands are raised and they seem to uh, so clearly be emotionally uh, attached to God. Why don't I? So I want to explore in line with the question that uh, Jesus is um, posing to the uh, crowds that are, are with him. How do I know if I love Jesus? It begins in our continuing dialogue between Jesus and a crowd of folks. And uh, he says to these uh, folks, he says, I know you are Abraham's descendants. I know you are Jews by race and nationality. You are descended from Abraham. Yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. And we looked at that last time, what it means to have no room for God's word. And that's where I talked about how I've been changed by scripture over the last few years. Anyway, he then goes on and says, I'm telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you've heard from your father. Now, we're going to expand a little bit more in our next talk what he means by their father and who he's talking about. But they say, oh, Abraham is our father, they answered. And he says, if you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you will do what Abraham did. So I want to explore that for a moment. What does he mean, if you were Abraham's children? He's trying to draw the distinction between being biological descendants and being people who behave and follow and are true representatives of Abraham. And so he's suggesting to them that they are not really of the family of Abraham because they don't behave as Abraham wanted he says, if you were Abraham's children, you would do what Abraham did. So what is it that Abraham did? Well, I think it's quite likely that in the mind of Jesus was a particular event in the life of Abraham where he welcomed God. We read about it in Genesis 18. The Lord appeared near the great trees of Mamre, and Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. 
Now, it's a little bit of an intriguing thing as to why God appeared. Did he appear as three men or was he one of the three men? And I'll leave you to debate all of that. It doesn't really matter. It, implication is that he saw God. Uh, and uh, a visitation. Now, we might say, well, Moses was understood that nobody could see God and live. So it's an interesting use of language. But he has the impression that he is at least welcoming the direct messenger, if not God himself, in human form. So when he saw them, we're reading in Genesis 18 and verse 2, when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed down low to the ground. Uh, and he said, uh, let, uh, uh, if, he said, if I have faith, found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass my servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may wash all your feet and rest under the tree. And let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed, and then go on your way now that you've come to your servant. It's clear that Abraham has a sense of God meeting with him in human form and his response is to welcome, to be hospitable, to bring them in and try and bring water and food and to make them feel really, really at home. Later on in John 8, uh, Jesus says, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. So this idea, that this little story in Genesis 18 is a glimpse of the incarnation of God taking on human form. And Abraham's response was to be delighted and to say, look, let me feed you, come and stay with me, come in. And Jesus contrasts this in John 8, 40 with the behavior of these group of religious people. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God, Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. Our only father uh, we have is God himself. Now we're gonna come back in our next talk as to who he means when he's talking about their father. But he concludes this bit by saying, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and now I am here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. So this got me thinking that the crowds didn't love Jesus. And uh, how do I know what loving Jesus is? And do I love Jesus? Do I love Jesus enough? What does it mean? So let's unpack what I think the New Testament means when it talks about loving God or loving Jesus. The first thing is from this passage. The first step is to welcome to want God, Jesus, in our lives, to invite him in. To love Jesus is to say, Lord, I want you in my life. I want you to be a part of my life. It is to give importance to. It's not a feeling. Sometimes we feel it. But others might be more like me a lot of the time and we don't necessarily feel it, but we've chosen with our mind and with our heart and with all of our being to say, Jesus, come into my life. I want your input. I love you. I want you in my life. Well, let's unpack further what that looks like. So the second thing that I think that looks like is to admire his actions. In other words, to like what he does. 
Now, I'm just going to pick out three things that this crowd had seen Jesus do in the preceding chapters. We could take the whole of the Gospels and I could throw a whole load of things out and say, do you love Jesus doing these things? Is this something that you like? Is this something that you admire? Is this the person that you want to invite into your life? But I'm going to just take three from the preceding few chapters. Uh, the three big ones, if you like, the signs, the things that demonstrated something different about Jesus. The first one we looked at in John chapter 2, which was the whole cleansing and, uh, of the temple and the throwing out of the moneylenders. And we talked about how Jesus was reacting against the exclusion of the poor from coming into the very heart of God's presence. They had to exchange things and they were being ripped off. Do we love a God who says, don't put any barriers in the way of the poor coming into my presence? Is that something we'd say, yes, that's how I want God to be? Because then we love Jesus. And if actually we want people to feel that they can't just come into church and they can't just be amongst our church, that they can't take up our seats, then... Maybe we like Jesus, but we don't love him. Because to love Jesus is to have the same heart as his and to say, come on in and let's get rid of anything that would obscure people from worshipping God. The second story that we've already looked at, I want to highlight, is the story with Jesus encountering uh, the Samaritan woman. And the woman who had been excluded from her own community and was excluded from the Jewish community because she came from a, a race that they believed was, uh, had distorted the way of God. So to love Jesus is to like the fact that he reaches out to those who are excluded and rejected and from a different religion and a different culture and a different background who have maybe made mistakes in their life. But Jesus goes to the woman and includes her and leads her to faith. And again, is there something within us that says, yep, you know what, I agree with that action. If we perpetuate a racially divided church, or a church that looks down on those religions that we don't agree with, or seeks to exclude people, then we don't love Jesus. We may like him, but we don't love him. And the third story, and when I said we could have chosen lots of stories, the third story for this moment is the beginning of this chapter in John 8 where Jesus uh, seeks to deal with the woman who's been brought to him having been caught in the act of adultery. And he asks the crowd, who has not sinned, let them throw the first stone. And then he says, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. Do we love the God who comes to seek and to save and to look for the lost without condemnation in John 3.17? He doesn't come to condemn, he comes to save. Is that what we like about God? And I think for my own self-awareness, as I look at how I feel about those three aspects of Jesus, I go, oh, yes, I love him. I love that. I love that. And I want to be a part of a God who reaches out to the lost. 
So we welcome him, we admire his actions. And the third thing is that we agree with his teaching. And again, I could take out lots of things from the Gospels, but I'm going to take out two things that John has told us a lot already that Jesus is teaching. And the first is that he was teaching that eternal life needed to come through him. The people needed to believe in Jesus, that that was essential. And so to love Jesus, to say, yes, I agree, that the only way to live in eternal joy and peace with God is to believe in Jesus. And that's important. Because if we think that there is another way to being in heaven, through our own good behavior or through some other method, then we don't really love Jesus because we're disagreeing with what he taught. And the second thing that he taught again and again and again was to these disciples so far, this phrase, follow me, come and follow me, follow me, follow me. And so... If we love Jesus, we'll say, yes, I'm going to follow you. Now, that doesn't mean the Facebook sense of keeping an interest on what they do. It means to copy and obey. And that's what following meant when Jesus asked the disciples to follow him. He said, come and live with me, do what I do and do what I ask. And so part of the question of whether I love Jesus is to say, am I prepared to do what he did and do what he asks. Which leads us on to our fourth element of what is he going to ask us to do? What does it mean to obey his commands? Because to love Jesus is to do what he says. We know that from our own relationships. If, if we say we love someone and then we completely do the opposite to what they ask of us, they would say, well, well you don't really love me. Thankfully, John spells it out very clearly what Jesus asks of us. He asks us to love. A new commandment I give you to love one another. And John, in his letter, the first letter of John, he talks about how those who say they love God but hate are liars. Because you can't love God and hate his children. So if I'm asking myself, do I love God? I've got to ask myself, am I prepared to love others? Not just to love the people that are nice to me, but to love the people that God has placed in my life who may be difficult, who may be sinners, who may be from a different culture, who may be from a different religion, who may have a lifestyle that I don't agree with, who may have a lifestyle that I think is damaging, who may be my enemy and persecute me. I love Jesus. I'm going to pray for them. And then I'm going to seek to aspire to love. I'm going to get it wrong. I'm going to fail. I'm not going to be perfect. And the danger of all of this is we create a sort of second test, which is do I love other people enough and do I uh, obey enough? And the glorious grace of Jesus means it's not about doing it enough. It's just an intention of the heart that says, Lord, I want to obey you. And that leads us into the final, for me, part of loving Jesus, which is to partner in his mission. That as he came to seek and to save the lost, as he is sent to mankind by the Father to save, 
For God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For I did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And so if I love Jesus, my desire is that he has the maximum return on his work on the cross. I want to partner with him in being part of the redemption of mankind, in seeing people saved. I want to be partnering with him in making disciples. I want to see salvation. If I say I love God but hate my neighbour, I am a liar. If I say I love God but I have no interest in anybody else finding a relationship with him, I'm a liar. If I say I love God, but I don't want to welcome the excluded and the sinful and to see them transformed, then I'm a liar. But the good news is that my love for God isn't about my feelings and whether in any given day I feel it enough. It's about the choices and the, the intentions and the aspirations that I make. And I do admire his actions, but I don't always live them out. And I do agree with his teaching, but I don't always manage to do it. And I so want to obey his commands, but I fail so often. And I do want to partner with his mission, but I'm filled with self-centeredness and laziness. But I do love Jesus. Because with all my being, I want to be a part of what he's called me to. I love what he's done on the cross for me. And I know we could have done a whole talk about loving Jesus because of the cross. And maybe that's another talk for another day. But for this moment, I just wanted to pull it into what they themselves knew at that moment. They didn't love Jesus. They didn't love his welcome of the Samaritan. They didn't love his welcome of the woman caught in adultery. They didn't love his overthrowing the tables in the temple. They didn't love his teaching on love. They didn't believe that he was the only way to eternal life. They thought all of that was a lie. And that's the next verse that we'll look on to where uh, Jesus talks about them responding not to the heavenly father, not to Abraham, but to the father of lies. We'll do that next time. Questions for reflection. So do we love Jesus or simply like him? And where do we want to partner and obey Jesus? Where is it that we say, Lord, help me grow in this area. I love you, but I need help me to love you more. Help me to uh, walk alongside you more. Help me to give thanks more. Help me to worship you more. Help me to be a part one of the things we looked at in a recent live stream is how the words serve and worship are very often the same word in the Old Testament in Hebrew. To worship God is to serve God. To serve God is to worship him. They are the same concept. So when I say I love Jesus, I am saying here I am to serve you. So what are we prepared to do for Jesus? What impact are we prepared to allow over our wallet, over our ethics, over our use of time, 
over the purpose and intention of our career, over our relationships. What am I prepared to do for Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are worthy of love. Help us to love you, to welcome you and to invite you into our lives, to love what you're about and to join in with what you're doing. And Lord, we know we mess up. We know there's so much wrong in our life. Help us, we pray. Receive the weak and frail offering that we bring and multiply it for your glory. Amen.